0: Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, March 31st, 2019. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So phobias are those things that we humans are afraid of. Not, not just a little bit afraid, but like really afraid of. Here are some of the more common phobias that impact us. Uh, arachnophobia. There we go. Fear spiders. Anybody share that? Uh, researchers tell us that 30% of all women and 25% of all men uh are are in this boat of having a pretty severe fear of spiders. Now maybe you're not afraid of spiders per se, but uh would you be uh sticking your hand in a bowl full of spiders like that? You know, just for fun? Probably probably not me either, yeah. Uh Ophidiophobia, that was Indiana Jones's Achilles heel, the fear of snakes. Um, I'm guessing living up here in the Antelope Valley, you probably come across snakes here or there. But did you hear about the story about the guy in Texas this past week in uh, Albany, Texas? Uh, I think it started with having a cable person coming in to go put, install cable in their house, encountered a snake, came out, they called the snake handlers in, they found 45 snakes under the house, rattlesnakes under the house. And you can go to YouTube and there's a 17 minute video (laughs) of the snake guy that goes in with his light and with the hook to try to get all four. It's amazing. If you're not willied out by snakes, it's a great watch. Uh, Then there's archophobia, which is the fear of heights. If you fall into this category, uh, 23 other million American adults, 23 million other American adults also have this same fear. Eight million Americans uh, uh, suffer from aerophobia, fear of flying. No? Uh, anyone affected by cynophobia, which is whoop, whoop, the fear of dogs. They say that often it's because you were traumatized, maybe bit by a dog when you were younger. Um, but I don't think anybody, anybody would be afraid of those, right? <laughs> what are puppies going to do, lick you to death or something? Um, there's astrophobia. The fear of thunder and lightning. Uh, By the way, if you live in Hawaii, hardly ever have thunder and lightning. I think like maybe five times in the 28 years I lived there. Uh, Or trypanophobia, which is the fear of injections or needles. Uh, Mysophobia, the fear of germs. Uh, Or glossophobia, the fear of speaking in public. Ah, So many things to be afraid of, Right. Well, welcome to the fourth Sunday in the season of Lent. Lent is that traditional season, time in the Christian calendar where we prepare ourselves, our lives, our spirits for the gift of Easter. Christians have been doing this for centuries. Um, It's 40 days from Ash Wednesday up until uh, the day before Easter, uh, not including Sundays, um, where worshipers refocus their walk with Jesus. But also it's a time traditionally that new converts to the faith Uh, spent those 40 days studying and preparing, and then were baptized and gave their heart to Jesus for the first time on Easter morning. There were also those that had been separated from the faith because of sin, uh, had a chance to, uh, through penitence and acts of renewal, uh, come back and be welcomed back into the community on Easter as well. So here at Palmdale United Methodist Church, we've been looking at, during the season of Lent, great questions Jesus asked. So, looking at some of the questions Jesus posed to his disciples or to followers over 2,000 years ago. Questions like, What are you looking for? When he asked the original disciples, What was it that caused them and, and us to come and follow Jesus in the first place? What do you have? A question that gets at, um, how are we gifted for life and ministry? And oftentimes we think we don't have enough, and we get focused on that, and Jesus says, no, no, what do you have? Look around. What what resources do you have? And also, don't forget that you have me. And then, uh, what do you want me to do for you, we looked at last week. What is it that, if God, if Jesus was there and asked us for our one deepest desire, what would we say? And is that something that, if it was answered, would not only bring God glory, but help Cause others to come to the faith as well. We're finding out that these questions were not only important to the people that Jesus asked them to over two centuries ago, but they're also important for us as well. In fact, these questions kind of get at some of the heart of the most important questions we can ask ourselves of faith. Today, we encounter the disciples when they're not at their best, uh, when they too are in the midst of a phobia. Uh, they face uh, moments of being overcome by fear. The story is from Mark's Gospel. I invite you to take out the Pew Bible in front of you or open up your smartphone. You, many of you have downloaded the uh, version Bible app. It's a free app that has all kinds of translations, you, some of them that will even read the Bible to you as well. So if eyesight or, or uh, just having time to do that is something you can have it on in the background as you're driving or whatever and have the Bible being read to you. Anyway, we're going to go to the Gospel of Mark, Chapter 4. And uh, even though Zach started us off uh, at our passage in verse uh, 35, we're going to start uh, this morning back at the very beginning in chapter, in chapter 4, Verses 1 and 2. It says this. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into the boat on the sea and sat there, while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he began to teach them many things in parables. So if you, if you read through the Gospels, you'll notice one of the things that happens all the time is wherever Jesus goes, he gathers a crowd that people uh, want to hear him they want to be around him and and today's story is no exception in fact he's there by the sea and the people are just crowding in he decides he needs a little space and he gets into a boat pushes off shore for just a little bit which actually then gives more people a chance to see him and hear him and he spends the day teaching and mark says he begins to teach in uh parables uh the sea that he was standing by was known as the sea of galilee and it was Israel's largest freshwater lake. In fact, the sea is approximately 13 miles long, 8 miles wide, and it takes 33 miles if you were just going to walk uh, all the way around the coast, from one end all the way back to where you started. And it was here on this very lake that Jesus began, begins to teach some of the parables. The parables of the sower, the parable of mysterious growth, the parable of the mustard seed. He's beginning to start to to teach them about what it means to grow in faith, to grow in depth of soul. And and by the time we get to our scripture reading for today, Jesus has been there all day long. Skip ahead to verse 35. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, the disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with them. So it's been a long day for Jesus. He's been preaching and teaching. He's uh, been under the hot sun, and and now he's tired. He's really tired. Evening has come, and it's time to pack up and head across to the other side of the lake, says Jesus. And we can imagine the disciples gathering uh, whatever supplies that they needed uh, from the shore, put it back in the boat, and they start heading across. And again, we're talking eight miles, right, to get across. It's a bit of a journey. And then Jesus lays down to sleep. You had those days, right? You get home, and you may have certain things planned, and you're just like, you know what? I just need to sit down, either in your chair in the living room, or even lay down at bed, and before you know it, you're out. That was one of those days for Jesus. Verse 37. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep asleep on the cushion. Now, before we get into the middle of the storm, let's make sure we understand the setting here. Uh, Jesus is asleep in the boat. It's been a long day. Uh, The disciples are with him. They're on the largest lake in all of Israel. By the way, do you remember uh, what were some of the occupations of the disciples before Jesus called them to follow? Fishermen. Four of them, at least, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen, which meant... That's what they did for their living prior to being called as a disciple. They spent their life on boats. And I would doubt that they had never been on the Sea of Galilee. And it was one of the biggest lakes. So surely this wasn't the first time they were there. They would have known this lake from experience. And if you're going to be a good fisherman or fisher person, you've got to make sure you know the surroundings, where the good places are to fish, where to avoid, and the weather. One of the realities about the Sea of Galilee is that there are high hills on uh, two sides of this lake, which creates kind of like a wind tunnel, this big trough uh, that would move uh, weather through, and quick tempest storms would come up uh, without warning. So if you had been a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, you had to be prepared for those quick storms that would come. These, at least a few of the disciples, were fishermen, for whatever reason this time, they completely lose it and freak out completely. Now, whenever I hear the story, I like to imagine the perfect storm. Remember that movie with, uh, uh, with uh, George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg? And all, I'm going to show you a clip. All you need to know about the clip is they're on a boat, a fishing boat, that goes out into the deep uh, North Atlantic, and they're caught in the midst of one of the most major storms that had ever hit. Let's watch. Due to copyright restrictions, we're unable to play the audio version of the video that we showed in church. Okay, so I know that they weren't in the North Atlantic, and they probably didn't face as big of a windstorm and waves as Mark Wahlberg and uh, George Clooney did, but it really gets you in the mood, doesn't it? I mean, that's, that's what I imagined, uh, that type of storm that Jesus and the disciples were facing. So amidst this crazy storm, the disciples turned to their leader who, remember, is sleeping in the back of the boat, and we get this, verse 37. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But Jesus was at the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? There's so much here. Where, where do we start, right? For the disciples aren't just a little bit concerned. They're not slightly worried about the situation out on the water that day. No, the Bible says they truly believed that they were dying. Uh, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Evidently, it was unlike any storm they had ever experienced before on that same lake. And, and then we think... Wow, Jesus must have been really tired if he's going to sleep through, you know, the North Atlantic waves and all that happening, right? Well, maybe he was, but maybe he also uh, slept with a bit of confidence. Confidence that no matter where he was, he was safe in the hands of his Father in heaven. A confidence that the disciples didn't seem to share, even though Jesus was with them in the boat. And, and they're thinking they're about to go down with the ship. They frantically wake up Jesus. They accuse him of not caring, being clueless about the situation. You obviously don't care what's happening, is basically what they're saying to him. Otherwise, you wouldn't still be sleeping while we're about to drown. As we're about to see, just because Jesus isn't acting the way we expect him to in the midst of our storms doesn't mean he doesn't care. That's a hard lesson. For us as humans to learn, isn't it? That when we're in the midst of storms in life, we expect Jesus and God to come to our rescue. And, and it doesn't always happen, does it? And we, like the disciples, wonder, and sometimes we wonder out loud, if Jesus even cares about what we're going through. Has anybody else besides me been there? Verse 39. Jesus woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea peace be still then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm he said to them why are you afraid have you still no faith and they were filled in awe and said to one another who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him numerous scholars will tell you that the greek word that's used here by mark uh, when jesus rebukes Uh, the wind and the storm, that's the same word that is used when Jesus encounters demonic forces. This is a strong word. It isn't just stop, be quiet, calm down a little. No, this is when Jesus encounters the most evil, as forceful as he can say it. What's interesting, in Jewish literature, the sea was often equated with evil and chaos It's filled with monsters and dangerous creatures, right? So both Jewish and Christian texts speak about the end times, God's future, when uh, the watery chaos of life would be finally defeated once and for all. And so here, Jesus in this story ceases the raging of this watery chaos. The disciples soon discover that Jesus himself has the authority over this evil, this uh, uncertainty, Authority that was typically associated only with God alone. And it's more than just uh, a display of Jesus bringing about some change to inclement weather. Uh, as a pastor, anytime I'm uh, invited to go to something, some event that's going to be outside, often people will say, and you take care of the weather, okay? Like, that's my job, to pray that no wind or rain, you know, and I know Easter's coming up at the amphitheater, and we want to have nice weather, but that's... That, It's not a party trick. This wasn't a party trick for Jesus. This was an assertion that Jesus is more powerful than any external force we may encounter. I mean, that's a word uh, that we need to hear over and over again, right? That no matter what we're experiencing in life, Jesus is more powerful than anything outside of our control. When the early Christian church was looking for a a sense of identity, the first couple hundred years after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, uh, one of the symbols they used was a ship. Right? You can imagine that the early church was being tossed to and fro by the waves of persecution from the Roman government, and it was not smooth sailing, not by a long shot. Nevertheless, they would look to stories like this one from Mark's gospel when Jesus calmed the storms to remind him that even in the midst of this uncertainty, the ups and downs of life, Jesus is in control of the storms. Fast forward two centuries later, during the dark days of World War II, the World Council of Churches, this coalition of various denominations seeking to bring unity back to the body of Christ that had been so separated and splintered over the years, they also adopted the ship as their symbol. It's a visible reminder that as followers of Jesus, we're never assured of smooth sailing, but our ship, The church, the body of Christ, all churches together, not just this one that we belong to, can endure anything that comes our way because of the one who sails with us. But all of this has yet to point back to the great question that Jesus asked for this week, and so we go back to verse 40 of Mark chapter 4. Jesus woke up, rebuked the wind, said to the sea, "'Peace be still.' Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm, and he said to them, "'Why are you afraid?' Have you still no faith? That's a great question, right? Why are you afraid? Now, conventional wisdom tells us the disciples have a right to be afraid. I mean, given the harrowing environment they found themselves in, with George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg out on the North Atlantic, right? We can imagine they would be afraid, but then we have Jesus, one of the most patient and and forgiving and understanding and sympathetic human beings to ever walk this earth. He says to them, Why are you afraid? Maybe maybe it's more than just being scolded by Jesus. Maybe there's something more. I think Jesus chastises the disciples because of their fear. But is that fair of him? Sociologists say that we fear when we realize uh, we're not in control. Whatever it may be, right? Spiders, snakes, heights, whatever it may be. Alan Nelson, in his book, Coached by Jesus, invites us to imagine uh, fear a different way. He says, think of a a tug-of-war rope. And fear and faith are on opposite ends. And we have the choice to decide which end are we going to stand on and pull towards. Are we going to stand on the fear and continue to pull towards into those feelings of being overwhelmed and fear? Or are we going to stand on the faith side and pull towards that? During my elementary years, I grew up in Arizona. uh, And we would occasionally come to California For, for vacations and trips, my mom had an auntie and uncle that lived in Long Beach, and so I remember one summer we, we drove out to stay with them, and we were gonna go to Knott's Berry Farm. I was super excited, hadn't yet moved into the roller coaster riding, you know, phase of life, but I loved log rides. And Knott's Berry Farm has, you know, one of the great log rides in all of log riderdom, I guess you might say. Anyway, uh, the night before we were to go, I had a bad dream. Actually, it was more like a nightmare. And, and when I woke up, I, I was terrified. I was sweating. I was completely disoriented. My parents asked me to describe, you know, tell us the dream. What was it? And I couldn't, uh, no images could come to my mind. So instead of any uh, 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 events that I witnessed in my dream, it was more like a feeling. And the, the best that I could do to explain the feeling was, you, you remember old TV sets back in the day? And channels stopped at about eleven or twelve p m and after the channel went off, you got snow you got snow that 's what that 's the best i could I could explain my dream and, and, and this was before poltergeist, so i hadn 't you know. Watched the movie and had, you know, whatever. No, no. I. It was something about the snow and the feeling, and I couldn't really quite, quite put my hand on it, but it just overwhelmed me and it terrified me. What was interesting is as time passed, about three or four times a year, I would have that same dream. And it would scare me every time. Intermediate school, high school, college. I had this recurrent dream Throughout my life, and I woke up afraid, feeling overwhelmed, and then after high school and college, Jody and I got married, and we moved to the East Coast to go to seminary. I went to Drew Theological School in Madison, New Jersey. And for three of the four years, I was the student assistant pastor at the United Methodist Church. that was right there on the corner of campus. I first started as a youth pastor, and then after one year, uh, was invited to be the student assistant. And so I got involved in more of the activities in the life of the church, including pastoral visitation and pastoral care. And I specifically remember one day, I was over at a person's house, who was a member of the church, and as I was trained to do... When you finish a visitation, you always ask, is there anything we can be praying about? And so uh, the the woman had shared whatever it was to pray. I don't even remember the specifics. And did the holding hands together and closing our eyes and bowing our heads. And I started into the prayer. And I probably got about 30 seconds into the prayer. And then it happened again. That feeling, the same exact feeling I had with those nightmares. But instead of being afraid and overwhelmed... I had the sense that, oh, this is the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is God that is with me. And I never again had the nightmares while I was sleeping. But every so often when I was praying with someone, I would have that. And I no longer was afraid, but I was excited. Oh, wow, this is God's presence with me. I didn't understand it. It was there with me back when I was a kid. Before we went to Knott's Berry Farm, and all throughout my life, God's presence has been with me, but it was so overwhelming, I couldn't put words to it, but now I know I am no longer afraid. I can't control when it happens, when it does, I just think, wow, there's something about this experience that the presence of God is more powerful uh, than when I'm just praying on my own. It completely changed. Uh, Fear turned into a sense of calm and excitement. So, back to the story. That night on the Sea of Galilee, the disciples are not in control. We humans have a hard time dealing with life when we're not in control of our surroundings. But they failed to recognize that Jesus was still in the boat with them. He was still in the boat with them. They may not have been in control, but you know, it was never their job description to be in control in the first place. Right? When Jesus called them, he didn't say, come and follow me, and I will make sure that you are in complete control of every aspect of your life. No. He said, lose your life, and then you will find it. As much as we enjoy the illusion of being in control, that's ultimately God's job description and not ours. The Apostle Paul, in his a letter to the book in Rome in chapter 8 says this, If God is for us, who can be against us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That might be my favorite passage in all of Scripture now. There is nothing that we go through, nothing that we experience, nothing that comes our way that will be able to separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus, which leads us to wonder. Now, what if Jesus hadn't been in the boat with them? And, and that storm arose. Then would it be okay for them to be afraid? Well, I'm glad you ask. There's other stories in the Gospels where the disciples are out on the water. A storm comes up. Jesus is not there. And what happens? He comes walking out to them on the water. And he calms the sea. And once again, he recognizes the fear that is gripping them. And he invites them to step out of that situation and walk towards a deeper faith. Because fear is how we feel when we realize we're not in control. But once we realize not in, we're not in control, can we turn to the one who is in control? Can we allow God then to take it from there? 1 John four eighteen assures us there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. So when Jesus asks, why are you afraid? He asks, of course, in the midst of storms... That's part of life. I wish I could tell you as a follower of Jesus that you will never go through any difficulties. That's part of the benefits of signing up and being a disciple. But I would be lying. And if you haven't had many storms in life, get ready because they're coming. That's just part of being human. And we will react with fear because that's the natural human tendency. But don't stop there. Allow God to take that over. Jesus says, don't, don't you trust? I'm with you. I'm here in the boat. You may not see me. That's because I'm sleeping in the back, under the cushions or on the cushions. Don't you know that my love is strong enough? You don't have to fear whatever comes your way. And it doesn't mean that we're going uh, to be exempt from real danger or mortal distress. Sometimes really bad things happen. But if we believe that god is more powerful than anything that comes our way we don't have to be immobilized by that fear we can recognize the fear and then release it to god because god's perfect love casts out fear you see the truth is friends jesus is with us in the boat whether we see him or not he has promised to never leave us or forsake us and we face the storms that life throws our way and before we get into full-blown panic mode Remember the question of Jesus. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? But also remember that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't focus on the perfect storm. Focus on the perfect love that casts out all fear. What may seem frightening at first may actually turn out To be something where you realize, I didn't know that God was with me the whole time. I was afraid of this, but it's God's presence with me. I don't have to be afraid anymore. Be not afraid. We serve a Savior that even the wind and the waves obey. Thanks be to God. Amen.